The story of Easter is the story of how people often respond differently when confronted with similar evidence. When they found the empty tomb, everyone agreed that Jesus had died. And some saw the empty tomb and believed, and some doubted, and some spent their professional lives denying that this could ever take place. You can see the same thing and experience it quite differently. You can hear the same thing and experience it quite differently. I recently heard on the radio uh, an announcer talking quite excitedly about a certain popular artist, and she was saying that it was very clear uh, that this artist could now be referred to as the king of pop. And I had to say something that all the baby boomers and Gen Xers in this room know to be true, and if you're a millennial or a Gen Zer, I want to share this with you in case you haven't encountered this truth about life yet. The title King of Pop is not up for debate. It is Michael Jackson. I know, I know he got a little wonky at the end of his life. If you saw the beginning, that's the King of Pop. He's the King of Pop because Elvis is the king. And, and on this Easter, I've been told that people expect the pastor to address eternal life and what will happen. So, as I've shared from this pulpit before, I want you to know that in eternity, I believe I will have the chance to ask God three questions. And those questions will be, why do bad things happen to good people? Explain the resurrection. And could I just sing Fools Rush In one time like Elvis did? Would that, is that a possibility? Because if it is, I'd like to sign up for that while I'm here. Well, my family's from Memphis, my, my mother's side. My grandfather worked in the hospital. We're family friends with one of the physicians who attended Elvis on his fateful last day. And recently, my wife and daughter went to Memphis, and they went to tour Graceland. And I just had a friend come back and the friend toured Graceland, and the friend came back and said, eh, it's a lot like you'd expect a mansion in the 70s to be. And my wife and daughter toured it, and they said, no, no, no. No, 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 it's amazing. You, you wouldn't believe what's in there. You, you've got to go ex experience it for yourself. It's amazing. They saw the same thing as my friend had. They experienced it completely differently. And as they were telling me about Graceland, I realized something and about Elvis and about Graceland and about God. And it made me ashamed as a preacher that it took me this long to, to realize it. But it's the message of Easter. Friends, the king lives in Graceland. Of course he does. That's the message of Easter. The king lives in Graceland. And I was a preacher for 20 years before I figured that out. And it's right there for the whole world to see. The king lives in Graceland. Sometimes because we don't see what's right in front of our eyes, it's important for us uh, to allow God to help us see as God sees. And one of the best ways we can do that is by reading our Bible and praying every day. 
I encourage you, if you are not already reading your Bible and praying every day, I don't know of a single thing you can do in this world that will have more benefit. I encourage you to go to concordunited.org Bible. You can find a daily Bible reading plan. It's not too long. The passages are very manageable. You can also pick up a hard copy if, if you'd rather have one printed out rather than online at our information center in the lobby. Now, if you go online to concordunited.org Bible, not only will you find a daily reading plan, you'll find a daily devotion in email or podcast form, and then uh, you can access it, and each day it will help you dive deeper into the Scriptures. Uh, it will help you have a focus for your prayers. So if you want Easter to be more than a one-day celebration, that's a way Easter can be a daily celebration for you by opening the Scriptures, by helping God let you see the world as God sees, see yourself as God sees you, see this life for what God created it to be. Now, this Easter is the day we celebrate maybe the most unpredictable event in history. But today is actually a very predictable day. You knew exactly what you were going to do before this day ever occurred. You were going to get dressed up. You were going to come to church. You were going to sing Christ the Lord is risen today. Uh, you were going to listen to the, the choir and, and the brass. And some of you came to church because uh, you look forward to Easter every year because it is such an encouragement to your faith and a celebration. And some of you came to church because this is one of the days out of the year where your mother or grandmother says, you will be here in church. And you decided uh, that the cost of attending church was less than the cost of not attending church. And I just want to say, if that's why you're here today, we are so glad that you're here. The Bible says, honor your father and mother and you have brought joy to the heart of God by choosing to do so. I want to also say, if you are one of those mothers or grandmothers, great work. <laughs> keep it up. Let, keep, keep it up. Well, not only did you know what would happen at church, but you probably already know what you're going to eat after church. Let me take a guess, okay, just guessing. You're probably going to have ham. Uh, there's going to be some form of potato. Uh, you'll have fruit. Uh, you, you will also have some form of uh, vegetable, probably green bean casserole. Uh, you'll have deviled eggs. I don't know why we have deviled eggs on Easter, uh, but we do. Maybe it's just rubbing it into the devil. Hey, Christ ate your lunch, didn't he? And then... You're going to talk about how good your grandmother's homemade rolls used to be, but let's be honest, you're having Sister Schubert this year. That's, that, you already know that. That's, that's what you're going to do. And then after that, many of you, the wise and cultured among you, I like to think, are going to turn on the masters. And you're going to watch the azaleas and the, and the beautiful green grass. Well, I have a friend who's there. He, he, he's there at, at, the, at the Masters today, and uh, I'm going to probably call him later and uh, make sure that he found a way to tune into church this morning. <laughs> but we were having a conversation, and another friend uh, who cares and is very uh, versed in politics, but, but maybe not so versed in tact, uh, made, <laughs> made the comment, you know, 
there's some sketchy politics that go on with the Masters. And if you've been keeping up with golf, you know, you know what some of that is recently. And this friend made the comment, I'm not sure we should support the Masters. And my other friend who had tickets didn't say a word. And then we walked off and I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to see thousands of azaleas in bloom. And I'm going to go and I'm going to see every blade of grass perfectly green. And I'm going to go and I'm going to see these professional golfers hit a ball and I'm going to watch it stay in the air for eight seconds. And then he starts counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And I said, I know how long eight seconds are. And he says, <laughs> and he says but do you? Four Mississippi, five Mississippi. Because he had been before. He said, Will, it just changes you. And he said, I'm not going for politics. I'm going for an event. Friends, Christianity is the one religion in the world that's based on an, an event. Other religions are based on charismatic leaders. Other religions are based on philosophies of life and theologies about God. Other religions are based on political movements. But Christianity is based on an event. On Good Friday, the Jesus movement was defeated and dispersed. It was done. There had been other people who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah before. They had been hung up on crosses just like Jesus was. And nothing ever came of it. And on that Saturday, it looked as if that would be the case. And on Easter Sunday, everything changed. Everything changed on Easter Sunday. It's said that the church was born at Pentecost, and that might be true, but the church was conceived at Easter with this Lord who had risen from the dead, who had conquered hell, death, sin, and the devil. And the world was waking up to the news. I want to share with you the story of some of the first to find out the news. This comes to us from Luke's Gospel, the, the 24th chapter. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Here we see the first people to catch a glimpse of the glory of the resurrection. The women who'd gone to faithfully anoint his body and to honor him, they encounter not only the empty tomb, but they encounter an angel who tells them this message. And we don't know exactly what they felt or thought, but we know they passed this message along to the disciples. And we know some of the disciples didn't think much of it. Maybe the hysterical hallucinations of 
grieving women. But P- Peter was amazed. Peter wanted to, to go see for himself. And when he got there, it said he left amazed at what had happened. Something changed. Glory changes us. Two people can look at the same thing and hear the same thing. And they can respond entirely differently. But when you encounter glory, when you come face to face with God's glory, it's, it's not the same anymore. It changes you. And it's sad when we have God's glory all around us and we don't see it. And that's the case all too often. I discovered an, a way in which that's the case that I was aware of this week. Did you know there's such a thing as a mental health condition called insta dysphoria? Do you know what insta dysphoria is? Some of you are on Instagram and you know it has filters, right? There are people who go and have surgery done to try and look more like their pictures when their camera filters are turned on. And it's called insta dysphoria. They think somehow that what, how they look uh, when a camera is doing all kinds of crazy tricks on their skin and on their body is more gorgeous than the body that God created for them. That the body that God designed for them before time even began. That, that somehow they think that modern technology is, is better than, than God's design. And it's, it's a real problem for some people. Sometimes we look at our world and God's glory is all around us. And because of our own stresses or struggles, we just can't see it. It's right there in front of our face, but we just don't realize it. I'd like to share with you today the story of Matt and Katie. Matt and Katie met as young adults, and Katie wasn't sure what to make of Matt. He seemed to be interested in getting to know her and asked her to to go out to dinner and She went out with him several times. She found out that uh, she really uh, liked him quite a bit. Uh, But uh, when he began getting serious and talking about marriage, she began pushing him away. And eventually, uh, she told him uh, they needed to cut things off. He wasn't sure what he had done. He talked to his guy friends, uh, and they couldn't figure it out. So he talked to his girlfriends, and they couldn't figure it out either. And many of them said, just, just move on. Just move on. But Matt didn't want to move on. Uh, and Matt didn't yet know all of Katie's story. He thought he did, but there were parts she kept back from him. Uh, when she w- was a young child, she thought her life was perfect. She had a younger sister. They lived in a happy home. And one day, their parents split up. Uh, their dad went to a, started a new family across town and always treated them like somehow they weren't as important as the, the new family he, he'd begun. Uh, her mother, she said, was, was hardworking and tried to make sure they had what they needed. Uh, but over the years, she watched her mother uh, become more stressed, uh, more strained. Uh, and eventually, she noticed her mother was having a glass of wine with dinner and then two glasses, and then she noticed that her mother wasn't always fully functional in the evenings. She took it upon herself uh, to sometimes cook dinner. Uh, She took it upon herself uh, to help her little sister with things that 
Uh, normally, she would have expected her mother to. Uh, she was a great soccer player, played in the band. Uh, well, uh, those kind of activities kind of went by the wayside because she felt like she needed to get a job in high school so she could provide for herself. Uh, she went to college, and in college, uh, she had uh, a relationship with a young man, uh, but uh, they went out to dinner one night. He had too much to drink. Uh, she, thankfully, she demanded the keys. She drove him home. But given uh, that background that she had, this was not a pardonable offense. And she waited, and I later learned she called him the next morning to break up at 9 in the morning. I asked her, I said, why did you call him at 9 in the morning? She said, because 9 o'clock is the beginning of business hours, and this was a business conversation. <laughs> well, Matt couldn't figure out what was going on. She said she needed a little space, uh, a little time uh, to herself to, to figure things out. After a week and a half, he, he called her, uh, but the conversation uh, was awkward and, and stilted. And then he didn't hear from her for about three weeks. And he felt like this relationship that he thought he wanted to spend the rest of his life in, he felt like it was on life support. And he said, I, I had to do something. I just, I, I had to do something. I had to have some way to see if there was a way this could work out. But the phone wasn't working and I needed an excuse to go by her apartment. So he found his excuse Unfortunately, several weeks before Valentine's Day had, had come and gone, but it was St. Patrick's Day. So Matt, being rather creative, uh, called up the local chocolate shop and said, do you have any chocolate-covered strawberries? They said, yes. He said, do you have any green chocolate-covered strawberries? They said, no. We don't have any green chocolate-covered strawberries. He said, do you have any green food dye? They said, yes. He said, could you make me a dozen green chocolate-covered strawberries? They said, we're very busy. He said, what would it cost? The per he said, he thinks they just pulled this out of thin air. They said, $100. He said, I'll do it. So he shows up with 12 green chocolate-covered strawberries, and he knocks on the door. And he shows the chocolate-covered strawberries to, to Katie. And he asks her how, how, how she's doing, uh, and they, they have a, a, a brief conversation. And, and he finds out that uh, she hasn't begun uh, dating, dating anyone else. And uh, he says, well, well could, could we try it again? And she says no, and they get ready to say goodbye. And she looks at the chocolate-covered strawberries, and she says to him, she says, why, why, why haven't you given up on me? Why, why are you still coming after me? You see, um, what she was dealing with is she had developed this thing over time that the people she trusted most, they tended to let her down. And she just wasn't sure she wanted to let somebody else have that opportunity in her life again because it had happened too many times before. And she said, why, 
why are you still coming after me? And he looked at her and he said, if I was going to give up on you, I would have done so before I purchased $100 green chocolate covered (laughs) strawberries. And she started laughing. And her, her, she, was la- she began laughing so hard, she started crying. Uh, and then uh, she started uh, sobbing and, and weeping. And then, as Matt tells the story, she started kissing him. And I said, what did you do? He said, well, I was a little scared, uh, but I hadn't been kissed in five weeks, so I just went with it. <laughs> What she'd been encountered with was a love that wouldn't give up on her, a love that that wouldn't quit. She came face to face with that love, and it changed her. They say when you see a rainbow stretched all across the sky, or you see the world from a mountain peak, or or you look out on the ocean, it, it changes you. You know that. It just does. Something changed in her in that moment. She found out this was different. I I can trust this. Something changed. Friends, we all need that moment. Christian faith for you might begin as a set of beliefs, but it eventually must become an encounter with the risen Christ. It must be your own face-to-face encounter with glory, your own face-to-face encounter with love, if it's going to be real for you. We just read about Peter's encounter, and he saw the empty tomb And something changed inside of him. Now I want to share with you, if we had time to read all through the 24th chapter of Luke, the next story is about some of those disciples who, when they heard it from Peter, they didn't believe it. Just seemed to them like an idle tale. Well, they were walking on this road known as Emmaus. And this, they were they were down and they were depressed, and this stranger came beside them, and he was like, guys, you're being really negative. Uh, can you explain all the negativity to me? And they told him what was going They said, don't you know, this was the man, and he's gone. He was the guy. He was the Savior. He was the Messiah. He was it. It's done. It's over. And then he, th- this man became the worst grief counselor you can imagine. Uh, let, let me tell you what they tell you not to do when you're counseling people going through grief. Uh, they, they tell you not to criticize and demean them and this man says you're fools you're fools why are you even upset you're fools you don't even understand the scriptures he's just demeaned their grief and their religion but he could because he was right because what they were grieving wasn't the case because the man that they were whose death they were grieving was alive in fact that man was walking beside them but they couldn't see him they they didn't know it was him And it came dinner time, and he didn't want to intrude, so he walked on ahead. But they said, no, 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 would would you please have dinner with us? And it was only when they sat down and he said the familiar prayer and he broke the bread that they realized it was him. And they said, and then he disappeared. I want to read to you exactly how this goes from uh, Luke 24. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That, 
that whole time he was teaching them, they said their hearts were burning. It really changed them. Their beliefs were really important, but they didn't get it. It wasn't real until they had dinner with him. Friends, you don't need to just invite Jesus to help you learn what to believe. You need to invite him to dinner. You need to invite him to be a part of your life because in our family, the people who are the closest in our family, they come to the dinner table. If you're a guest, you might stay in the foyer or the living room. But the closest people to us, the people who have the right to say whatever they think about our lives, they come to the dinner table. We need to invite Christ there. We, we, we need to know Christ there as well. This was the experience for the disciples in the early church that we've just read about. This has been my experience. I grew up in church from the time I could remember. My, my father was a pastor, just in case you don't know. When I was at the ripe age of 12 and our family couldn't afford an important piece of technology at the time called a VCR, I told him I would never be a pastor because I was going to be successful Sorry about that, Dad. <laughs> but something happened, and I always believed. I, I, I admired my dad. I admired my mother, who was a strong Christian. I enjoyed church. I believed what they taught me. But then when I was 17 years old uh, at a retreat, kneeling for prayer in a chapel uh, that I've never been to before or since, and thinking about what a mess I'd made of some relationships in my life, I felt Jesus like I'd never felt him before. Just unbelievably close. Uh, and uh, in a worship service, uh, I felt him, him speaking words. And about a year later, uh, I felt a, a calling to, to go into to ministry. And if you'll ask me what keeps me going when things get tough, it's not what I believe in here. It's what I know here. It, it's, it's what I know. Sometimes my beliefs help. Uh, and that they keep me from giving up when I feel bad. Uh, but if you want to know what really changes you, it's when we invite him all the way in. When we stand face to face with glory. And then there are times, there are things in this world, and, and I don't mean to disappoint you, but there are questions in this world that even I don't have a good answer for. But I know that I know that I know that he spoke to me. I know that I know that I know that he loves me. I know that I know that I know that he won't give up on me. Do you know that you know that you know him? I want to tell you a man who, who didn't know him very well. His name was Gerald. Gerald uh, went to one of the first churches I was a part of. Gerald was a good guy. He went to church because his wife liked church and wanted to, to raise the kids in, in church. And uh, I, I just, I, I, love, I love people who are honest. And so we came out and I greeted his kids and I greeted his wife. And I remember shaking hands. I don't remember my first, second, third Sunday. It was early on in my time there. And I shook their hands. And, and the wife kind of said, great sermon, pastor. Kids came out. They're running towards the car. Gerald stays back for a second. He goes, we're really glad you're here. I just want you to know, I don't buy what you're selling. All right, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, th th thanks, thanks for being honest. And uh, I got to know that, that he would volunteer uh, and, and he'd help out, but he had all these, all these questions uh, about God and, and, and could, could God really be real? And if God was real, could, could God really uh, talk to us? Uh, and, and I would always kind of tease him. Uh, I, I, 
I'd say, Gerald, have, have you spent your time in prayer today? And he said, why would I do that? I said, because God just, and I'd say something like, God just might talk to you and you could use it. Well, one day his uh, wife had to have surgery. I went into the, to the hospital and uh, we, we spoke and, and had the, you know, the, 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 th- the things you say but before uh, uh, surgery. And, and then he, he says, um, he says, would, would you have a prayer with us? And I had a prayer. We, we walked outside. Uh, and as often happens as, as I'm leaving, uh, sometimes the family member will follow me out to, to say things they, they, they don't want to, to say in front of the patient. And uh, he followed me out, and I, I took that as a bad sign that uh, they were worried that this could be worse than, than it was initially thought. And he told me, he said, I, I've been more upset about this surgery than anything I've ever been upset about in my life. And he said, I, um, I, I want you to know I prayed about it. And I think God spoke to me. And I feel like I have some peace. But I can't explain it. I, I, can't, I can't explain why God would speak to me. And in that moment, Gerald had found himself face to face with glory. And he'd learned what the world learned back that first Easter Sunday. Friends, The king, the king of kings, lives in Graceland. Always has. Always will. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, our Christ, you are king of kings and lord of lords. You hold our futures and forever in your hands. And, O Lord, you have suffered On our behalf, you have walked the dusty road to the cross that we might walk the road that leads to eternal life, knowing you, serving you, living within your kingdom. We ask, O Lord, that you would open our eyes, for we believe through the power of your Holy Spirit you are all around us. Let us see the glory that is in front of us, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.